Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, and Huggins and Scott Auctions. So thank you, sponsors. I was on Dustin Cooley's Personal Finance Dad YouTube show earlier this week and had a good time. He's a sharp guy and uh, asked some good questions. I actually did a home and away. I had him on my show, or we recorded it, and that'll be released uh, pretty soon. But these were some short excerpts from his longer show that I highly recommend, not just because I was on there, but he, he has videos that he's been doing on YouTube for a long time. They're good. I've enjoyed them, and I hope you do too. You can list the one about me, or you can list any of the others. They're all good. So this was an enjoyable exchange for me with Dustin. Thanks, Dustin. Here it is. Do you like all the, the parallels and the colors and different things, or do you prefer how it was, where you have one or two rookie cards of a player, as far as the, the new stuff versus the old? You can't turn the clock back. Now, products are very yeah. complicated, and some level of complexity is a good thing. It allows the chase to be difficult. But if it's too complex or too difficult, people get frustrated. In the old days, it was less complicated, but it was fun then, too. Now, with grading, with serial numbering, with all these different variations and parallels. What my life work has been is helping people enjoy the hobby. The greater complexity would be good for my old company in terms of their grading cards and their pricing cards, so all the stuff that we did when I was there. So to a point, yes. Do you think if we had third-party grading in 1990 that it would have carried on as opposed to it kind of fizzling just because of the supply-demand issues? If we had... Third-party grading in 1990, it wouldn't have worked. How do you mean? The technology was there. I think I, I don't know exactly when coin grading came in, but I think coin grading was ahead. And there were some things going on in the early 90s, mid-90s, but it, it was premature. And hats off to David Hall and the PSA guys for jumping out there. I don't know that was an instant success, but really broke the ground and BGS came in. We made our mark, but we were thinking about doing grading a couple years before, but there was no thought in the early 90s of us doing grading. People were buying thousand count lots of Greg yeah. Jeffries rookies. They weren't going to grade them. They were all considered mint because they were out of the pack. That's right. Yeah, it was just a different view back then. That's right. That's interesting. So it wouldn't have worked. It would have been a business model. PSA now is 20 bucks a card. BGS is not far behind. They would have laughed. They would have said, what are you talking about? I have the card. I got it out of a vending box or I just opened it up. So it would have been too far ahead of its time. There's some different metrics, but it, always there have been comparative what's a good deal compared to something else. So when singles get too expensive, that's what's driving a lot of the new card bonanza is that people look at a pack and say, I could get a very valuable card out of this pack. So my expected value is higher. But at some point when the packs get too expensive or the boxes, they'll buy singles. Now, are you buying boxes or sealed wax or are you mainly a singles guy? I, I, I buy collection off auction platforms sometimes because I, I love the surprise. And I regard my version of participating in a break is going through a dollar box. And there's a monster box and I can have any 50 cards out of that monster box for 50 bucks. That's yeah. like a break of, I, I get 1% of the cards. The, the catch is unlike the break, and I don't just get to pick my team, I get to pick the cards I want. And I have fun doing that after a lot of years, it's certainly more than 10,000 hours. I'm just picking out some cards that are interesting. Some go on my wall, some I'll resell, some I'll do other stuff with. But that's an exercise, a challenge, and it's fun. So it's my version of unopened is that there's a monster box or a shoe box of, say, dollar cards, whatever. It could be any denomination. 
that's me seeing cards I maybe haven't seen. But yeah, it's fun. I, I just don't buy one card very often at all. I, I won't say never, but I have a lot of the cards that I want and some of the newer cards. I've got a Luca. Would I like to have a better Luca? Yeah, but I don't think I want to spend what it's going to cost. If it's half price, I'm all in. But there are no Lucas that are half price anymore. Is it not necessarily a bad thing to have a little bit of a cooling off period? It's a terrific thing. The cards can go up and down and when they get to a certain price. It's not that they think well, that's a bad deal. There's something else that's a better deal. And so they're looking for something that hasn't gone up yet. That's healthy. Okay. It's that's not a crash. That's a comparative shopping. You're saying now football looks like a better deal than basketball. I love basketball, but I like football too. Football's looking like a great deal when it's the same scarcity and an equivalent level of superstar. So yeah, I think it's extremely healthy. If something can go up double in a month, if the next month it drops in half, you're back where you started. How can that mean the sky is falling? <laughs> the sky isn't falling. Maybe it just right sized. It got right priced to that higher price wouldn't hold because people don't get out of the hobby. They go find something else. If they're leaving the hobby, that's bad. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about non-sports cards. What are your thoughts on non-sports card type stuff? Obviously, collect what you want, but are you into any of those kind of non-sports franchises? I basically have a theory that basically when you open the pack, if you're a fan of that genre, you ought to be able to know what the better cards are, that Spider-Man or Star Wars, whatever it is, you ought to know the characters and which cards would be better. Because back in the day, when non-sport cards were boring and not a good investment, it's because people just put sets together. All the cards, they were like all commons. In the Marvel Universe, they're not all commons. So that's a healthy development of people saying, Luca, Zion, Ja, Giannis, those guys are looking pretty pricey. For one of those cards, I could buy a case of some of this Marvel stuff and maybe get some great stuff. I'm getting in at a lower level for something that has the potential with the same level of following. Is Spider-Man more popular than Mike Trout? You just get into crazy comparisons. So that Marvel play is savvy. Now, whether it is from here going on up further, I don't know. If everybody quit collecting sports and went to non-sport, I'd be upset about that. But right. it's not everybody. It's a few people saying, hey, that looks like a bargain now. I'm going to do that. No problem. Now, how many people from back then during those days, hobby friends, do you still stay in contact with now? And are they part of some of the, the podcasts and things that you've been doing? Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to continuing on. I, I just want to publicly say that the order of appearance on the podcast is not a popularity ranking. I've got some great friends. Maybe I should say I'm saving them up for episode 533 or something, but no, I'm just moving it around. And if I bump into somebody or something comes to mind or have an idea for a certain episode, I'll uh, give somebody a buzz. I got a thousand episodes. So do I have more than a thousand friends? I probably do. Yeah. I yeah. may have to keep going then. There might not even be a national this year, but if it happens, are you planning to go? I, I've never missed. I don't think I ever will miss. If I'm not there, you better send out an alert. <laughs> now I stick around a lot more more than I used to. I'm, I'm having more fun now and I'll record some podcasts when I'm there. I'm unstructured now. I, I'm, not, I'm my own boss. We used to have a you know huge presence and Beckett Media still does, but I'm just hanging out. I'm looking through cards. It's one of the rare times I get to look at cards and then I'll mix that in with visiting with people and having some nice dinners with the, some old buds. So it's just great. All right. I'm going to get philosophical now. So 
if Jim Beckett had not started Beckett Magazine back when you did, do you think it, the hobby would have moved along? Do you think somebody else would have come in with the same sort of price guide, same sort of idea? Because I, I feel like you, you really moved the needle and brought it more legitimacy. Do you think it would have happened you know, anyway? The hobby was marching forward. Okay, There were other price guides out there at that point. There were other magazines out there. There was a lot going on, and we weren't the only ones doing that stuff. But I will say this. Our goal as a company, me personally, was to take our industry to the next level and have a magazine that came out every month that you could put on the coffee table in your family's living room and somebody that was not acquainted with the hobby could pick it up and say, oh, that's interesting. Even putting the price guide on newsprint in the middle of the magazine to make it more timely, even that, if somebody says, well, gee, why? Most magazines are real slick. Most of those years, in the early years, they get to the newsprint kind of stuff and they say, oh, this is different. This is the price guide that's put in there at the end to be more timely. So yeah, I wanted to have something that collectors could be proud of. I, I think we were successful to some degree, more successful than I thought. Of. I was just trying to elevate the hobby and put it up there, actually up with stamps and coins, which I think we passed up now, e even coins. Yeah, there might have been other price guides, but you guys, it was different. It was a, your magazine. I know it's going to sound like I'm just completely a Beckett fanboy, which I guess I am, but you guys have really revolutionized all of it. Well, so let, I'm, let, very, I'm very appreciative. Let, let me pay it forward by saying that you, I, I, we were number one. I'm not going to deny that, but we weren't number only. Our price guide team was second to none. I can hold my own. I'm really good, but we had more price guide analysts than all the rest of the industry put together. And every one of them was strong. You, you and I have talked about fungible. There had some fungibility among our price guide analysts. They were good sports to move into other sports and to learn that. So I think we had a learning attitude in our company of taking on challenges. We were doing things that hadn't been done. So you have to have people that are self-starters and they're saying, I, I think I can do that. Let me do that. And they'd work together in teams, help each other. I'm proud of that. We had a spree de corps.